All right, everybody. Welcome to week two of our series on the Sermon on the Mount. We are calling this series Living the Politics of Jesus in a Partisan America. Today, our passage is the Beatitudes. This is one of the most familiar and yet still one of the most misunderstood passages in all of Scripture. In less than just ten sentences, Jesus is subverting all of our assumptions about what the good life is. He's setting the tone before he moves on to the practical application of this new way of being human throughout the rest of his sermon. He is establishing the heart posture of which his people's actions are to flow. Jesus concludes the Beatitudes, this list of characteristics, by saying, You are the light of the world. You're the salt of the earth. You're a city on a hill. He's saying, This is what the kingdom looks like. This posture of humility and reliance, this is what allows people around you to taste the God flavors of the world, to see the God colors of the world. We proclaim the good news that God's kingdom is available to you today. When you're at the end of your rope, you're at the front of the line. It's not the wealthy or the well-connected, but the outcast, the overlooked, and the overwhelmed who are in pole position to enter kingdom life. How is it that Jesus' Beatitudes are one of the most well-known religious teachings in all the world, in all of world history, and yet they're still so frequently misunderstood or even ignored by his own people? How is it that we've turned blessed be the merciful into blessed be the mighty, blessed be the meek into blessed be the bold, blessed be the poor of spirit to blessed be the rich? How is it that Harry Truman, as a president of the United States, a self-proclaimed lover of the Sermon on the Mount, could be the only world leader to ever drop an atomic bomb? In my research this week, I discovered that at the time of the dropping of the bomb, Nagasaki was actually the most Christian city in Japan. How is it that America can claim to be a Christian nation while being built on the backs of slaves, prisoners, and on proliferation of war? America's Beatitudes are not Jesus' Beatitudes. There's a huge amount of dissonance here. America's Beatitudes are, Blessed are the bold, for they know how to get things done. Blessed are the strong, for they will never be pushed around. Blessed are the hard-hearted, for they'll never go below a 6 out of 10 emotionally. <laughs> Blessed are the wealthy, for they will grow their wealth, even amidst a global pandemic and a time of immense unemployment. Jesus' message was just as antithetical to, in his original context as it is to ours today. Today I proclaim the good news. We proclaim the good news to you, that God's kingdom is available to you today. When you're at the end of your rope, you're first in line. It's not the wealthy or the well-connected, but the outcast, the overlooked, and the overwhelmed who are in pole position to enter the kingdom life. Jesus' list of who is blessed runs so counter to our story of what it means to be blessed that whether consciously or not, we can't but help to try to wrestle and wrangle his words into fitting into our worldview somehow. At the church I grew up in, this led to us spending a whole lot more time talking, reading, worrying, praying, studying about whether the rapture was going to be pre, mid, or post-tribulation than about how we could live out the Sermon on the Mount. Essentially, we just ignored Jesus' words. 
I think most frequently we, we just assume that the Beatitudes, these blessings that Jesus gives us, are just a new formula for blessing. To be blessed, I must become each of these things. Instead of happy, I should be mourning. Instead of having money, I should have no money at all. We do the calculations, we adjust the formula, and we still try to apply it to our life just like we already have been. This appeals to us because we still get to maintain some semblance of control. But friends, this is not that. The Beatitudes are descriptive of the kingdom. They're not prescriptive. We can't help but hear and read Jesus' words through the lens that we've been born and formed into our whole life. To get out of our own way, it's important that we look closely at what Jesus is actually doing here. Jesus is actually making use of a, an old, an ancient rabbinical technique called stringing pearls. And this practice consists of a, a, a rabbi at that time would make references to Old Testament scriptures as he was teaching. And he would do this to fold in and develop a depth of meaning to that teaching that he was giving that day. But it would be dr drawing on a wealth of knowledge in history and tradition that was already at work. So to the crowd that was with Jesus this day, when he was giving this sermon, it would have been plain as day what he was doing. When Jesus references the poor in spirit and those who mourn, he's drawing a direct thread back to Psalm 61. When he mentions the meek and those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, he's connecting it to Psalm 37 and Psalm 107, which have to do with repossessing the promised land. When he references the merciful, he's drawing a thread back to Hosea. When he references the pure in heart, He's connecting it to Psalm 24, which is all about seeing God's glory return to the temple. He is drawing a direct thread to all of the Old Testament promises, the covenantal promises of God, to the people of God. So these aren't random thoughts that Jesus is just throwing out. He's not just looking around at the crowd that day and saying, hey, you're blessed if you have a blue mask on. If you have a nice lawn chair, you're blessed. No, these are specific references based on tradition and richness. He's doing this very intentionally. And it, was very, it would have been very clear to the crowd that was with him that day what he was saying. His message was this. What you've been waiting for is here. All of God's promises are coming true, but you'll be surprised at who's at the front of the line. Jesus is also painting a picture of what his kingdom looks like. So Beatitudes 1 and 8, they each repeat the refrain, For theirs is the kingdom of heaven, which forms what's called an inclusio. An inclusio is just a fancy word for a rhetorical sandwich. So this repetition, this line that's repeated, basically forms the top piece of bread and the bottom piece of bread. And then all of the Beatitudes in between make up the fixings, right? So the turkey, the bacon, the cheese, the lettuce, the tomato. So these aren't just separate random ideas. These Beatitudes are together one sandwich. They're one meal. Another way of looking at it is that the Beatitudes, each individual Beatitude is like an individual piece of stained glass. When you look at it, it's beautiful, it's got its own color, but it's not until you see them all together that you see that they're actually constituting a picture. Jesus is giving us a picture of what the kingdom of heaven looks like. Jesus is throwing open the gates of heaven. He's saying it's available to all. It's here today. Blessed are those who are invited to the kingdom. And friends, each of you are. God's kingdom is available for you today. When you're at the end of your rope, you're at the front of the line. It's not the wealthy or the well-connected, but it's the outcast, the overlooked, and the overwhelmed who are in pole position to enter kingdom life. 
Jesus' message to us today, the Holy Spirit is speaking to us today, very much the same thing that he was speaking in that day. He's saying, blessed be the broken, blessed be the hopeless, blessed be the unemployed, the underemployed, and the unemployable. Blessed be the depressed, blessed be those that are so anxious, they don't know what to do. Blessed be the lonely, blessed be the refugee, blessed be the divorcee. This is what the kingdom of heaven looks like. When you're at your lowest of your lows, God is right there with you and he's saying, my kingdom is here and you are invited. And maybe this doesn't sound like great news to you at first blush. Maybe you're like me and you've done a lot of really hard work to try to distance yourself from this need. Maybe you're really trying to disassociate from this idea of being at the end of your rope. That bit at the beginning about being hard-hearted and never going below an emotional 6 out of 10. That's me. You know what? It's okay. God is saying to you that you don't always have to be so strong. You don't have to pretend that you have it all together. My kingdom is here, and you're still invited. Maybe the reason the meek and the poor in spirit and those who mourn get the fast pass to the kingdom of heaven is because the obstacles and the roadblocks that stand in the way, this competency that we try to pretend that we've got it all together, has been removed. And they are totally in touch with their reliance on God. Eugene Peterson puts it this way in the message version. He says, you're blessed when you're at the end of your rope. With less of you, there's more of God. He says, you're blessed when you feel you've lost what's most dear to you. Because only then can you be embraced by the one most dear to you. Friends, don't let your competence, your toughness, your boldness, your strength, your need to have it all together get in the way of receiving this good news today. God's kingdom is available to you today. When you're at the end of your rope, you're at the front of the line. It's not the wealthy or the well-connected, but it's the outcasts, the overlooked, and the overwhelmed who are in pole position to enter kingdom life. How can we respond to this today? How can we say yes to this good news? Or as Mallory asked me last night, how do we take a bite of this big beatitude sandwich? <laughs> Dallas Willer said it like this. He said, the gospel of the kingdom is that no one is beyond blessing because the rule of God is available to all. Everyone can reach it and it can reach everyone. Respond, we respond appropriately to the Beatitudes of Jesus by living as if this were so, as it concerns others and as it concerns ourselves. So we can say yes to this good news together, friends. We can say yes to this good news by humbly coming to the table of our Lord today and being nourished by his body and his blood. We can say yes by asking and praying that he would fund an imagination for what it means to live into this kingdom, to embody and bear witness to this kingdom on earth. You can say yes by bringing your unsolved, unprocessed kairoses to your DNA groups. You can say yes to this by joining a DNA group. You can say yes to this by asking for prayer, by reaching out to your neighbor and asking for help. God's kingdom is available to you today, friends. When you're at the end of your rope, you're at the front of the line. It's not the wealthy or the well-connected, but it's the outcast, the overlooked, the underappreciated. It's the invisible people that are in pole position 
to enter into kingdom living. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.